recording. Are okay, you recording. Oh, good. Well, hello. Hello. Uh, I'm Who are Kat. We? <laughs> I'm Kat. And I'm Crystal. And this is Alternative Interests. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hello, hello. I don't know if I've told you, I get random hymns in my head from my yeah, you, days. Yeah, uh-huh. Whenever we say welcome, there's a song that that is welcome, welcome, Sabbath morning. <laughs> that goes through my you head You should like, change time. it to all, welcome, welcome, alternative interests, welcome. <laughs> and we can sing it now every we single fill your head with dread. <laughs> there you go. Super morbid and horrible. <laughs> Not us, but the stories. <laughs> well, sometimes, not all the time. Well, no, most of the time. Especially, of the time. especially this one. This one's horrible. Okay. Not horrible, like, bad. I mean, I would argue that it's pretty bad. Well, yes. It, it, is, it is bad, and it will be disturbing to those who do not enjoy, not that you ever enjoy it, but it will be disturbing to those who uh, child murder and mutilation um, is horrifying. But it's horrifying to me, too. But I don't know why this one... Okay, I'm going to stop talking. Do you know what There's, I'm saying? Yeah, we did this at the beginning of the Anna Creasel yes. episode. That yes. Some people are sent extra... Sen- I mean, everybody has their thing. And it's normal. Everybody yeah. has a limit and a line. And some people's line is crimes against children. And yeah. so this is our official warning Especially that, Kyle, do you yes, hear me? Exactly. A warning, Kyle. You can turn it down when we get to that part. Um, we don't usually, besides our uh, warning in the beginning, we don't mm-hmm. usually issue another warning. No. I think for this one, we may issue another warning before we talk about the, war- the like, yes. real bad stuff. And I want to say, too, I don't dwell on that part of this case. There's other parts that I, I'm i going to be more wordy on. And maybe that's how I deal with it is by kind of, you know, it, it did happen. I will tell you about it. But I, I don't spend a huge amount of time on the, the details of that. So okay. I will say that. Um, okay, so let's get started. Uh, Crystal, remember that one time you were asking me what the Water of Life Church was? Just say yes. Just say yes. Okay, because <laughs> even if I did ask, I don't remember. Well, I'm going to tell you. Well, thanks. <laughs> yes. No, I, this is, I wanted to start off uh, just by telling you a little bit about the Water of Life Church. Um have I yes. heard of this before? I may I, have heard of this thing before. Was it you who told I the memories are coming back? I don't know. Keep going. I don't know. But yes, I'm going to start this case off first with telling you a little bit about the Water of Life Church. And if you haven't heard of the Water of Life Church, um, consider yourself lucky. So the Water of Life Church begins with a man called Doyle Davidson. He sounds like a douchebag. 
Oh my gosh, you know what? He is. He okay. is a royal douche canoe, and you will find out why. So, Mr. Davidson, he actually served in the U.S. Navy. And then after he was done with that, he studied to become a veterinarian. And he was going to school to become a veterinarian when one day he said he was rotating his tires. And you know what? God came to him with a message right there. Right when he was doing his little tire rotation. I don't well, even know. Well, you know you... why? Is because you can't go nowhere. <laughs> All your right. tires are off. God knows you can't drive away. God can't take the wheel, right? <laughs> he needs tires on that on that vehicle. <laughs> or is it Jesus? It's Jesus. But oh, okay. you know, Jesus did take the wheel. Jesus did. Jesus probably took his tires, but nevertheless, he was rotating them. Okay. And Jesus told or not Jesus, I'm sorry, God told him um, that he was a prophet and he should not become a vet because he is a messenger of God. Okay. But you know what? Doyle was kind of like, whatever, God. And he kept rotating his tires and kind of like pushed that suggestion out of his mind. Um, So he became a vet specializing in horses. I think it's called, and you can correct me, Aquanine Vet uh, Equestrian. Something, I don't know. I'm bad with words, which isn't good for my profession. Anyways, uh... (laughs) So he had forgot that, you know, God came and told him that when he was uh, rotating his tires, um, kind of, you know, brushed it off. And so after he became a vet, he was driving down the street one day and wouldn't you know, God showed up again right there in his car and he told him, hey, listen, Doyle, you are a prophet sent by me to rid the Jezebel spirit that is ruling Plano, Texas right now. Okay. Because. Okay, so we have a Jezebel. (laughs) Yes, no, we have a Jezebel spirit. So what the Jezebel spirit is, it is a spirit of the pagan prophetess who uses women by possessing them and working through them to control men. So let me ask, was this like the Jezebel from the Bible who was killed by dogs. So her spirit of a pagan person. That's that's what she was. Jezebel. Oh, okay. So yeah, this is her spirit. This is, I don't know. Excuse me. I don't know much about religion, but yes, this is what that was. As you can tell. Um, and Doyle was like, sign me up. Like that got him the first time. The first time he was like, nah, God, whatever. This time he's like, what? A Jezebel spirit ruling There's a woman. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I got to get rid of her. So uh, Doyle, in 1981, he established the Water of Life Ministries right there in Plano, Texas. Quit his veterinary job and everything because now he was like all in. Um, his church taught that wives should obey their husbands and not question them. And that the husbands were the head of the household and the husbands essentially own their wife and their children. See, I couldn't survive in a church like this because I'm a curious bitch. I got questions. Oh, yeah. And I, I mean, I don't even, 
obey stop signs sometimes. How am I going <laughs> to obey my husband? Holy cow. Because a stop sign and a spouse are synonymous. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> so, um, so that's what he taught, which I think in a lot of these kind of uh, weird cult-like you know, that's religion. So that's theme, kind of yeah. A, yeah, a common theme. I I thought back to Marcus Wesson. You yes. know, when he was kind of hodgepodging all of these religions together. That I mean, that was one of his, right? Where essentially and it's a lot of them. When I'm, I'm assuming this is going in the cult direction because that's kind of what it feels like. But a little, um, yeah. It's it very common for cults. Um, especially religious based ones because it gives more power to the leader. Yeah. I want to see the cult where the woman owns the husband and, uh, and the husband has to obey the woman. I'm sure there is one. I'm sure there is. I'm going to start one. Actually. No, I want a cult where, where, Oh, where we go to Target and walk around by ourselves. And that's how we get close to the Lord or whoever we, or whoever we worship. Anyway, so um, in this Water of Life Ministries um, in the church, uh, if you if you were a woman and you didn't follow this belief, um, you, it would result in you basically not being able to have children, and you would become possessed by the Jezebel spirit. So his whole thing was, oh, your wife isn't obeying you; she's probably possessed by the Jezebel spirit. Oh, your your wife didn't do what you asked her to do, or your wife. Uh, doesn't think she should be your property. She is possessed by the Jezebel spirit. Oh, geez. Everything in this church, by the way, can be fixed through prayer. So even serious illness. So any serious illness, whether it be mental illness or physical illness or like cancer, he taught his followers and he believed it could be fixed through prayer and any medical intervention was considered witchcraft. That was the idea of the spirit of Jezebel. Oh, geez. so let me ask, did he perform miracles on a regular basis to heal people with the power of prayer? Uh, no, he actually didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's people actually, still believed it. Well, that's actually surprising to me. So how did people believe this if he couldn't demonstrate it? So apparently he sounds like a douche canoe and he looks like a douche canoe. I mean, because you can, he, his channel is still up and running his website, his Facebook page. He's an old guy at this point, And he is still like, like running the show. Apparently, some people have said he has a very charismatic personality. I can't see it. He reminds me of, so you know the movie Up? You know, yeah. the old man in Up? Uh-huh. He looks like that, but like if that old man, well, was a douche canoe, basically. Like like there was a, a reptile stuffed up inside of him? Exactly. Uh, yeah, with a wrinkled raisin so, face. So like he was a lizard wearing a human suit? 
basically, but everyone thought he was super charismatic, which I I can't see it. He's a member of the reptilian race. Exactly. So he spread his ministry on a daily religious channel that was televised. Um, And so his sermons were actually shown in several cities around Texas. So like a basic cable station, you know, is what I'm talking about. um, Because this was the early public access. Yeah, like like public access. But uh, he, I mean, uh, he was a very popular, a bunch of people in and around that area tuned in. Okay. So his views were so extreme, though, that once he blamed two Christian girls that died in the Columbine shooting um, for their own deaths. What? Yes. He was on on one of his sermons, one of his televised sermons on TV where he was being interviewed by somebody else and they were having a conversation. He actually said that they died in Columbine because they didn't have enough faith. And actually oh when God. he was saying this, when he was brought, they cut him off. Like the, the audio Good. people like cho- just like cut him off. In 1984... He claimed that his wife, Patty, was now a Jezebel. So he had been married to this woman for over 15 years. And then suddenly in 1984, he claimed that she was a Jezebel and basically ghosted his own wife. Did so he like, trade up for someone 20 yeah, years younger? Uh, not 20 years younger, but yes, he actually traded for um, a new wife that he... that he said God found for him who just happened to go to his church and was also married. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So they had an affair going on for several years, by the way, when I say he ghosted his wife, Patty, he go, he just stopped talking to her. Like just can't entertain the Jezebel. No, just like stop talking to her and just basically she was no longer his wife in his mind. And I don't think she had any choice but to be like, oh, all right. And so she like just kind of agreed to it because that's what she's supposed to do. But okay, so the hypocrisy of these situations always gets to me. Like with Marcus Wesson and him saying God told him to do stuff, but he is God, that whole thing. I know I repeated it a lot. People probably got really annoyed with me. Yeah. But like in this situation, so the woman is supposed to be loyal to her husband, obey the husband. But here this woman is having an affair with him, not obeying her husband, but somehow this is like the perfect woman. Yeah. 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 So they had a, so this, this woman, her name was Lisa and they had an affair for several years. Lisa is married to a guy named JR. They actually both work for the church. So not only are they members of the church, but they work for the church in kind of the admin area, Mm -hmm. you know, of the church. So, um, he has an affair with Lisa for several years and I apparently, it's an affair. So nobody really knows about it except for Lisa and Doyle. So JR doesn't even know about it either. But one day he decides, you know what? We need to tell your husband, JR, about this because um, I'm going to just take you as my wife now. So Lisa's like, uh, no, can we not? And then Doyle's like, uh, I'll just write him an email. So, <laughs> sh- yeah. <laughs> 
So he's like, don't, he's like, hey, Lisa, don't worry. I'm going to, I'm going to write you an email. I'm going to CC JR to it. Okay. Oh. So this is the email. Okay. That he wrote to Lisa that he CC'd JR on. Okay. Dear Lisa, I sent this email to JR and I'm forwarding it to you with these instructions. Don't even let JR lay his hands on your body. I have power over your body. And then he adds at the end, 1 Corinthians 7, love you, Doyle. What the fuck? This was the email he sent to JR. JR. Don't lay your hands on Lisa, you child of the <laughs> devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Do not even touch my wife's flesh. Doyle Davidson. Oh like my God. This, this was the email. Okay. <laughs> so, um, can you imagine being JR and no, reading this and being no. like, uh, Lisa? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Let's. Did you get this email? And Lisa's like, uh, let me check. And then Lisa checks her email and is like, uh, like, what? So JR is like, okay, what's going on? So um, Doyle decides, you know what? I'm going to send this email. He hit send. He went over to Lisa's house because he was going to go take what he felt was his. Yeah, he's going to go collect his wife. Exactly. JR gets home and sees Doyle sitting on top of Lisa with his hands around her neck. Oh, my God. Yeah. So police were called. Doyle was arrested and fined. Fined. Yeah, only fined because Lisa and JR did not press charges. They were just like, we need to get out of here. We need to leave the church. You would think that, I guess, depending on the severity, they may not hold him and pressing charges would make him pissed off. He's already pissed because they called the cops. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean... It's ridiculous. So Lisa's refusal to submit to God's will in in Doyle's eyes was the topic of his sermons for many, many years (laughs) after that. Of course it was. (laughs) He was being petty to the pettiest degree possible. Um, There is actually YouTube audio. He gave me a wine. Our name is Lisa. Are you ready for this? How would you like for God to give you a wife that's a slut? Lisa is a slut. My wife that God gave me. And you want to know who told me she was a slut? God told me she was a slut. She's not even his wife. Exactly. Like, that's how cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs he is. It's ridiculous. So, anyways, like I was saying, Lisa and JR leave the church. Uh, They do not press charges. Basically, Doyle said the whole situation with JR and Lisa was set up by Satan to destroy his church. Yeah. I'm just... I don't understand how people like this can Get, glean so many followers. This is just exactly, weird. Exactly. And what year was this? This w- was happening in 2000. 
five, this situation right here. 2005? Yeah, 2000. I think so, because that sermon, the date on that sermon... Oh, no, because he was talking about this for years on end. So he was still, this happened around uh, like 95, and he was still talking about this in 2006. Oh, my God. Yeah. Did he ever remarry again? I don't know. Uh, To be honest with you, after learning about this guy, I was like, you know what? I'm done. And just the fact that if you go... To he has a so the the Water of Life Church has a Facebook page, mm-hmm. and he is on there incessantly updating and writing things. And the latest thing that I saw is that he's asking his followers to pray for him, like they need to stop everything they're doing and pray for him. Okay. And there's like so many likes and so many. It, it's it's nuts. It's. It's mind-boggling to me that this is still going on. But anyways, eventually, Lisa and JR, they had to leave the state, and they basically went into hiding, which, good for them. Yeah, they got out. Yeah, they got out. They went into hiding. There's not much about them, but doesn't this sound like a pretty cool church? Huh? No. <laughs> this doesn't even sound like a church. No, no, but it, it is, and it's still going on. So this is kind of where our case begins. And I can't believe we're just getting to this start. <laughs> this I has know. already been so much. And I wanted to tell you about the Water of Life Church because I feel like Doyle and his teachings had a lot to do with the unfortunate situation that Dina Slosher finds herself in okay so enter dina and john and you will know why i told you about the water of life church as soon as you hear about this so dina was born in new york in 1969 shortly after her birth uh her parents actually got a divorce and they found out that dina was actually born with hydrocephalus which is water which is fluid around the brain Mm mm-hmm By the time she was 13 years old, she had already had several surgeries and procedures to place shunts in her brain to kind of relieve the fluid. Um, She had some heart procedures done as well. Um, Her head was often shaved for all of these procedures. Uh, So she was made fun of whenever she was around other children when she wasn't in the hospital. So that sucks for her, right? This is still kind of true, but that's in the peak of when the ideal feminine image included long hair. Yeah. Yeah. That's so sad. It okay. is sad. Um, she was a very, she was quiet from what I read as a child. And I know that um, oftentimes children who go through all of these medical issues at such a young age and then survive like really, you know, horrible medical situations are usually very shy or they can go to the opposite spectrum, which is like, you know, very confident and extremely outgoing and, Mm -hmm. you know, and whatnot. She was on the shy side. Um, When she was 18, she enrolled at Marist College in New York, and that is where she met John Slosher. 
after dating about a year or two, they got married in 1990. And actually, Dina graduated college with a degree in psychology. That's what she went there for, and that's what she graduated in. John was also going to that college, and he was studying software engineering. But actually, it was found out later that he was just pocketing the money his parents were giving him for his tuition. So... He went there for like the first year. And then after that, he just continued to tell his parents that he was still going to college. And so I guess they would just cut him a check for tuition and he just started pocketing it. Okay. And what was he doing with it? Just spending it, using it for other things. What the hell? Yeah. Was he working or just living off this money? I think he was just living off the tuition money. Now, it was Dina's mother and stepfather. So Dina's mother is Connie and her stepfather is Mick. Um, They discovered the whole sham that he he was doing this. And I don't think they... I think eventually they kind of clued... Um, his parents in on it John's Mm -hmm. parents in on it I'm not sure what happened I can imagine his parents were pretty upset Um, I I remember I uh, skipped a final um, in community college uh, because my friend won a uh, won a cruise through her work and she's like you have to come on it was like a carnival cruise to Catalina and I'm like a uh, cruise or take my final and I knew if I didn't take my final I wouldn't pass the class and you lose your credits right if you don't pass yeah. my class and so I said YOLO before YOLO was a thing and uh, I, I went and I remember when I came back, I had to tell my dad, like, I felt so guilty. And I had to tell my dad, oh, my gosh, my dad was pissed. I so bet. I can imagine three years of paying tuition that was actually a sham. I can imagine that John's parents were uh, more than pissed. Right. Because, I mean, John had to know that this scam had a lifetime to it. It's at you're, some point, they're going to expect him to have a degree. Yeah, you're I, You're going to find out. John doesn't care. And I feel like John thinks very highly of himself. So I don't, I think it was one of those things like software engineering. I'm Because he was really smart and good with computers. So I think he was just like, I don't need, I don't need this. Like I can, I, I don't need to l- go to college to learn this. I'm good on my own. So I think that's what was happening there. Both Dina and John had great difficulty holding down jobs. So Dina had worked for Visa and then she worked for a nursing home, but because she didn't like confrontation um, and her MO basically at these jobs was if she felt like she was being treated rudely, she would just quit and walk. So, um, and John just never really stayed at a position long enough because he always felt he was too good for it. Like I I can do better than this or, you know, and I think some of that rubbed off on Dina, you know, Uh, and also she didn't like confrontation, which tells you a little bit about her personality too. Right. Um, and how she's kind of like pulled in by a guy like John. Right. So um, they eventually started a family. They had their first daughter, Brianna, in 1995, and then Kelsey in 1997. Now, Dina was diagnosed with postpartum depression after the birth of her daughters, um, and she would take 
the medicine to kind of help her through that depression, but then she would stop once she felt better. Oh no. That's, that's like, it always makes me sad when I hear that because Mm -hmm. that's when you're supposed to keep, that's when you know it's working. You keep going. Exactly. And this is actually going to be a ongoing theme for Dina, unfortunately. Oh, that's so sad. And I, I get it when you're in that mentality, you're like, Hey, I feel great now. Yeah. I can stop. Yeah. 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 And we'll get into more of um, talking about postpartum depression here in a second. But anyways, they moved to Fort Worth, Texas in 2000. And actually, John managed to get a a good job working with computers. And he was actually making pretty decent, a pretty decent amount of money. And they were able to buy a nice house. And now this is Texas, but they were able to buy a really nice house. So both of their families were kind of like, oh, wow. They're, you know, they're really making it like they're. Yeah. They're, and without an actual degree in this stuff, he's able to land a good job. Exactly. I mean, he must have some level of skill at the very least. That's what I'm saying. He has a lot of level of skill. He's really good at it. And but he he thinks he's so good, apparently, that he doesn't need to learn more about it. And so I think, like I was telling you before, that's where the whole not finishing college came from, mm-hmm. right? He felt yeah, like he I didn't. That. Why do I need to pay an institution with my parents' money if I, if I don't, if, you know, I'm better than that? Mm-hmm. So even though they were both raised in really Catholic families, neither Josh or Dina were particularly religious at all. Like they were raised... Catholic, but they didn't continue practicing, you know, the, the religion after they were kind of older and on their own. However, as soon as they moved to Texas, they were introduced to the water of life church. And here's where we have the water of life church and everything it represents. So remember, think about it. We have John, who is kind of this narcissistic, you know, know it all. And mm-hmm. then you have Dina, who is a, you know, she doesn't like More confrontation. Mild mannered, uh, has suffered a little bit of depression, you know. Um, yeah. Plus, on top of suffering from a pretty serious medical condition. Exactly. Exactly. So when they were introduced to the Water of Life Church in Plano, Texas, they bought in 100%. And when I say they bought in and they were hooked 100%, this church was 100 miles away from their house. Okay. And they would go and attend church up to six times a week. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Why would they go? I mean, they can watch this dude on their TV every day. Why do they exactly. need to go? <laughs> exactly. Driving round trip and sometimes services ended like at 10 p.m. How do they hold down jobs doing a 200 mile round trip every day? And they would cart their kids with them. Oh the two God. little girls with them. So Dina's parents 
Um, Connie, by the way, had Parkinson's, okay? And Mick, Dina's stepfather, they often kind of were like you. They were like, what the F, right? Um, the kids were being shuttled back and forth to church and home all the time, uh-huh. getting back too late. So the two girls were often falling asleep at school because they were so tired, of just like being in the car. They would get home, they would go to church. They would come home super late, sleep, go to school, then go back to church. Yeah, so like when do they do homework? And Exactly, exactly. I think Connie was one of the first people who were like, this, what the, this church is ridiculous. And the fact that you guys are a part of this is ridiculous. So one of the incidences that occurred with Connie, where she was just kind of like dumbfounded about it all, is um, she would visit Dina and John often because she wanted to see her granddaughters. And so one time when she was there, one of the children had a cough. So she bought cough syrup. Oh, no. Yeah, they had a cough. She's like, okay, I'm going to get you some cough syrup. That did not fly over very well with Dean and John. Don't give our daughters cough syrup. You're supposed to pray over them. God will take care of this. That's witchcraft. Yeah, that's witchcraft. If God wants wants to heal them, God will heal them. Okay. God wants to. Yeah, exactly. So Connie was so concerned about all of this and just everything that was going on. Um, She was not like her daughter. She was not afraid of confrontation. She even contacted Doyle Davidson herself and um, and tried to talk to him. And uh, I'm sure and that went well. Oh, that did not go over well. And um, actually. He, after that, after Connie's conversation, which I don't know what that conversation consisted of. I'm sure it was, it was, uh, I would love to hear it, but I didn't. Um, After that conversation, he told Dina that her mom was a heathen that was injected with the Jezebel, the Jezebel, (laughs) the Jezebel spirit. And so so did Dina cut off her mother? Not yet. Listen to listen to what happens, though. Okay. The, so Connie, you know, she's now injected with the Jezebel spirit. That didn't even stop her. Okay. So Connie just kept hammering it in. How weird this this church was. Um, she didn't stop visiting her granddaughters because she was very concerned about the family and Good the granddaughters, grandma. exactly, and the involvement in this church. So. She even, even after this first thing too, she even um, attended a church service with Dina um, because she wanted to. She wanted to talk to Davidson again, but he wasn't having it at all. And he laid his hands on her and told her he was taking away the demons that were causing her Parkinson's. So basically, it was a situation where Connie is like, "Hey Doyle, can I talk to you really quick about how wackadoo you are?" And Doyle's like, "Be gone, oh, demon! Yeah. <laughs> exactly, be gone with your Parkinson's." So, <laughs> so um, since Dina believed in the power of prayer in the church as well. She decided that before her mom was going to leave, she took her Parkinson's meds out of her purse before she dropped her off at the airport. Oh, my God. 
this was Dina's way. She thought, okay, I'm going to prove to my mom that God can, that, you know, Doyle basically healed her. She doesn't need these meds anymore. I'm going to prove it to her by taking the meds away. So because she did not have or was able to take her meds while she was at the airport, her condition was deteriorating, just like she yeah. wasn't feeling good. She, those meds were helping her get through everyday life. Right. Right. Um, she even became at one point while she was waiting, just paralyzed. Like she couldn't move anymore. Oh. And she, she, because she couldn't move, she sat there in her own feces oh, in no. the, in one of the airport gates because she couldn't move. Eventually someone noticed oh my God. and helped her get on a flight back home. How long was she sitting there? Do you know? Hours. And no hours. one notices this woman is just sitting there. No. Now, I don't know why she didn't go and, and talk to someone prior to like it going downhill so fast. I don't know how fast that happens when you have Parkinson's and you don't have your meds. So I'm not exactly sure of everything that happened there, but it was a bad situation for Connie. Oh, that's awful. Yes. Did she ever go visit her daughter again? I, you know what? I'm not sure. I don't think she was in a hurry to. I would not be either. Yeah. So that drove a wedge between, you know, Connie and her daughter, obviously, especially, especially after the, the airport and the Parkinson's meds incident. So um, that good paying job, you know, that John had when they moved to Fort Worth, yeah. that only lasted 90 days. So remember, they moved to Texas. Uh-huh. They had a great job. He had a great job. They bought that huge home. But his job, he only kept it for 90 days. Oh God, what the hell is wrong with him? Because he just, I don't know, he probably felt like he was too good for that job, too, because he did quit. It only lasted 90 days, and he quit. So then he started doing freelance work from his home, but he wasn't making enough. So in 2002, they had to foreclose on their house. So because they're like, okay, well, now we foreclosed on this house. Let's, you know what? We love the church. Let's just move to Plano into an apartment so we can be closer to the church. So we don't have to be driving a hundred miles to go to this stupid church with the ass hat as a pastor. And you know that making that drive six days a week contributed to the fact that they got foreclosed on because that's expensive. That is expensive. But these poor girls, right? So when they moved there, Dina started working at a children's world learning center, like a daycare in Plano. Okay. Um, And then in the spring of 2003, things are going good. Dina actually gets pregnant again with another girl. Now, it's at this point that her family becomes increasingly concerned because all she talks about now is the church. That's it. The church, the beliefs, everything. And um, it was during and after this pregnancy that her mental health began to decline even more. And you're going to find out how much more. So she gives birth to Margaret, who they call Maggie, at their apartment with the help of a midwife on January 9th, 2004. Okay. Now, even though everyone knew she was only pregnant with one baby, and even though she only delivered one baby, Mm -hmm. and the midwives only saw one baby, Mm -hmm. she was 
adamant that she actually gave birth to twins, but that the son died as soon as he was delivered and God took him home. Okay. Leaving just Maggie. She was adamant about this. She talked about it as if it was fact. And everyone was kind of just like, okay. Well, given the role that the Water of Life Church puts on males, that's concerning. Yes. And it gets even more concerning. So the next day, okay, she just had a baby. Right. The very next day, she's in the kitchen. She gets scissors. She goes to the bathroom and she slits her wrists. She said that she was reading the Bible and the words cut just kept jumping off the pages at her. This? And so, poor woman. Exactly. So she felt like that's what she had to do. She had to slit her wrists. John finds her, her husband, okay? She had a baby the day before. Yeah. John finds her bleeding all over the bathroom. Do you think he took her to the hospital? No, because all she needs is a prayer. Yeah, no. He just gave her some towels to stop the bleeding and prayed over her. Okay. So, I just, I can't. Yeah. So, later, Dina would say that she just wanted to prove that nothing would happen to her after slitting her wrist because God would heal her. So, this was like a test from God. Yes. This was a test from God that he told her to slit her wrist. She did in the strong belief that he was going to heal her. And he did in the form of her husband coming in right after she did that and giving her some towels and probably compressing her. And she probably didn't cut deep enough. And this just reinforces what they believe Mm -hmm. all along, which is awful. Yes. Yeah. So just days after the wrist cutting incident on January 15th, all three girls were home. By this point, Maggie is like six days old. Okay. Um, she's watching TV with the girls and they're watching one report said they were watching the little mermaid. And Dina says that the characters in the little mermaid started laughing at her. Like they were laughing at Dina. They were making fun of Dina. This woman so, needs medical help. Yes. No, she, no, they just need to pray for her. Um, she flips out. Runs I would out of too. yeah. Runs out of her apartment screaming. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I said all three girls were at home. The oldest was actually at school. Okay, but Maggie, who was only six days old, was in her crib, and her five year old Kelsey, who was home, ran after her mom. Okay, so her mom runs screaming from the apartment. Kelsey's like, what? What's going on? Of course, she's five. She follows her mom, right? Yeah, and now we have a literal newborn just by herself. Just by herself, chilling in the crib at home. So this, obviously, hearing this commotion, hearing Dina screaming, running from the apartment, seeing the five-year-old chase after her, this alarmed neighbors. Police were called, and they were finally able to catch up to Dina two miles away from the apartment. Oh, my God. When police approached her, she just started screaming at the top of her lungs. 
So they were like, this chick needs help. And she was taken to the Collin County State Hospital Good. and held in, the, held in a psychiatric unit um, for a couple of days. Good. So her... Her diagnosis there clearly was postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to talk about uh, postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis in a little bit. They did the right thing. They diagnosed her. She was prescribed psychotic uh, or psychotropic medication. Is that how you say it? Psychotropic? Yeah. Psychotropic. Psychotropic. Yeah, medication. And so she was prescribed that. Dina actually wanted to stay in the hospital longer. Oh. I think at this point, she's like, there is something wrong. And then once, you know, like the meds hit her system, she was probably realizing this, you know. Yeah. I I need help. And maybe Uh, this is a good sign for her. Exactly. But nope. John said he prayed and God told him that she should be home. I mean, if she's in a psych ward, can he take her i feel like they should have had her involuntarily committed and that uh, means that he can't get her out yeah i don't know but john's like nope i think you need to come home which dina doesn't like confrontation right Mm -hmm. she's probably like okay you're right i need to come home now obviously since she left the six day old at home yeah when all of this was happening happening cps was called uh so cps is like okay, you're home now. Um, actually, we kind of want to monitor you a little bit and the kids because you did leave a six-day-old at home by themselves as you went running down the street in some psychotic break. Mm-hmm. So how about you have your sister-in-law stay with you for a couple of days um, while you're kind of, you know, going through this, you know, difficult time. Right. Um, And so CPS records show that she was treated for the postpartum depression and for the postpartum psychosis. And she was then just miraculously found to be stable in August. And how, uh, how, so this was January on January 15th. So in August, so what, seven, eight months later Mm -hmm. after just visiting her a couple of times, they're like, you know what? You know what? She's stable. Um, And she kind of was. She continued to take the medication that was specifically for her postpartum psychosis. And it seemed to be working. John didn't see it as the medication working because remember, medication is witchcraft. Mm -hmm. John said it that, oh, my prayers and the church's prayers must be working. But he let her keep taking the medication. He let her keep taking the medication. Yes. He's like, oh, well, that, that's great. You're, you're getting better. That's because of all my prayers. That can't be because of the medication because that's considered witchcraft. That can't be why. So when everyone was like, yeah, she seems to be better in August, she went off the meds. Oh, okay. Yeah. So doing that, as you know, was not smart. As soon as she was off the meds, we start like going downhill again. Mm -hmm. She started making animal noises, growling and hissing randomly. So now John probably thinks that she's possessed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. John's not concerned. John has never been concerned at all. So she starts making animal noises. 
She believed at one point that she could hear Jesus building an ark in the neighborhood. And she would tell John about this. Like, I hear him building an ark. He's in the neighborhood building an ark. She would tell neighbors. She would tell family about this. And then she told John, hey, John, you know, our little baby that we have, Maggie, I want to give her to Doyle because God told me that Maggie needs to be Doyle's next wife. A baby. Oh a baby. Okay. She tells her husband, I want to give my baby to Doyle, this ancient raisin who spouts off craziness. And who's been ranting about Lisa for 10 years. Exactly. Exactly. But no, John didn't take any of this seriously. He, even, even when she says, what did he say about giving his baby as a wife to this man? Oh, he was just like, oh, cool. God, God told you that. That's awesome. He, he didn't care. Um, he and the church, when consulted by John, felt that he could just pray away the issues and mental problems that Dina was having. Of course they So did. anytime he would bring up these mental issues or problems to anyone at the church that oh, we just need to pray more, God will take it away. If it's God w- God's will, God will take it away for her. We need to pray. We need to k- just keep praying about it. Obviously, the praying wasn't working. And unfortunately, on November 22nd, after Dina had been up for 48 hours straight because she had begun to obsessively read the Bible nonstop Mm -hmm. and play gospel music nonstop, she was convinced that God wanted her and Maggie to be in heaven. Oh, no. So here is your second warning. Again, I am not going to dwell on the details. I'm going to go through it and then we'll, we'll continue. But this is your warning. Kyle, you can fast forward this part. Um, so one specific Bible verse that she read was stuck in her head. Okay. And she kept repeating this over and over again. Mm-hmm. And the Bible verse is, if the right hand offends thee, cut it off. And cast it from the Oh no. So she said that this this was just repeating over and over and over again in her head. Uh-huh. So she took a kitchen knife and with the gospel music blaring in the background, she grabbed her baby uh-huh. and she sawed off both of the baby's oh arms from the shoulders. Oh my god. Obviously, Maggie was screaming. Uh-huh. Eventually, the screaming stopped. Mm. Dina took the same knife. She stabbed herself in the shoulder mm-hmm. and started sawing in an attempt to cut her own arms off. Oh, my God. Because that was the plan. Oh At that moment, God. John just... called the house. Yeah. I need a I, second. I, like, sorry, I know. I, I know I you wanted to, to get through it. Through it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, yeah. Man. It's a lot. I, the mental <laughs> image of this. I know. I know. That's why I have to, I, I just had to keep going. With the gospel music, and that's mm-hmm. what makes it even more eerie is... Mm-hmm. Because we're getting towards, like, again, the holiday season. We're getting really close to Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, keep going. So at that moment, 
John called the house, although some reports say that she called him at work. But either way, when they connected on the phone, John asked what she was doing, and Dina calmly told him that she had just cut off Maggie's arms. Oh, my God. And instead of calling 911, who do you think John called? The dumb pastor. Yes. Doyle Davidson. What did Doyle do? Doyle's like, don't tell me that. Call call someone at her work. What? At her work? At her work. Remember, she used to work at that daycare. And then she she like when she was going to about to have Maggie, she stopped working right, to go on maternity why, leave. Why would his? Oh, yeah, because yeah, intervention. Is the I devil, don't know. So I don't know. So John. Yeah. Yeah. So John did call one of Dina's co-workers at the child care. Her oh name was God. Carolyn. Carolyn called Dina because she's like, what is happening? Uh huh. And while she was talking to her, Caroline's one of Caroline's co-workers called 911. Okay. So we have now had much? one, two, three phone calls. And how much time is between these phone calls? And- I'm going to guess an hour. Like at all of these phone calls, oh I'm guessing an hour between when it happened and when the police actually got there. Holy shit. Yes. So... After one of Dina's coworkers calls 911, okay, mm-hmm. the 911 operator then calls Dina to check on her. Mm-hmm. So it is like a phone chain going on. Yeah. Okay. And so Dina, and I, I looked for the audio. I couldn't find the audio, but I saw the transcripts. The operator calls Dina. The operator's like, okay. Uh, are you okay? What's going on? And she calmly tells the operator, I, I cut off Maggie's arms. Oh my God. And then they asked her if the baby was conscious and Dina calmly says, no. She asked if the baby was breathing. Dina calmly says no. So when police and paramedics finally got there, Mm -hmm. Dina answered the door. She is covered in blood uh-huh. And the knife is still in her hand, and she's softly singing Christian hymns. Oh my God. And just lets the police in. Can you imagine the officers that responded to this? I know I can't. They found Maggie already passed away in her crib. That poor when baby. They, I know. When they asked Dina what happened, she calmly told them that she felt that she had to. That's all she said. I had to. CPS came, took the nine-year-old and the six-year-old away. Mm-hmm. And imagine that. They were home. I don't even want to know what, oh. they, what they witnessed. And I didn't even read anything on that. Um, CPS promptly asked the judge, you need to terminate the parental rights of both of these. Yeah. Of, of John and Dina right now, stating that John did not protect the baby or the other children from his wife. No. That request was denied. Why? You'll, you'll find out in a second. Oh, my God. Oh. As you know, Maggie died of blood loss. Um, the two remaining children were placed in foster care for a short time, but eventually John was able to get them back under strict conditions. 
um, he had to live with somebody, so he moved in with his sister. Okay. Was, and he, was the sister part of the church? Uh, no, the Good. sister was not part of the church. Okay, we just need one rational brain. Yes, brain exactly. And I think that's what CPS was thinking too. This was the same sister that stayed with Dina after this, the uh, other incident when CPS was like, um, I think you, you need to have someone supervising you during the day with these kids. Yeah. Um, so John uh, had to go under a an evaluation first, a psycho evaluation. And in order to get his kids back, he had to follow some strict conditions. One was to get therapy, obviously. Um, actually, he had to go get psychotherapy because he was diagnosed with narcissistic personality traits. Okay. So, um, so kind of borderlining on a, on a narcissistic personality disorder, but he obviously, we all knew there was something wrong with him, right? Yeah. Um, he also had to take parenting classes, but he eventually got the two girls back. So the aftermath of just this horrible situation, when the police and caseworkers interviewed John, he said he was not really alarmed by Dina's behavior that led up to this incident. That in like, itself is alarming. Yeah, exactly. He said he never saw any of it as a sign that she would harm their child. Even though, according to court records and everything else we know, Dina had confessed to John the night before that she wanted to give her child to God. Like she told him, I want to give our child. First it was Doyle, now it's God. I want to give our child to God. None of that, John was like, cool. What did he think that meant? uh, John's a douche canoe too, I don't know. After her arrest, uh, obviously, in addition to the postpartum psychosis we already knew she had, she was diagnosed with manic depression. Um, In February of 2005, a jury decided that, you know what, she is, and I think this was a grand jury, she was uh, incompetent to stand trial. I would like, agree. This chick is not all there. Um, so she was committed to North Texas State Hospital. But then in May of that same year, a judge decided she was competent. And I think she was taking meds and now, you know, she was a little more lucid enough. And so basically the whole trial really depended on whether they could convince a jury that she knew right from wrong, right? Like that she knew what she was doing. So that was prosecution wanted to kind of prove that she knew what she was doing, but obviously the defense had a lot of, had a lot backing them, right? Uh, With what happened. So um, during her trial, the defense team placed the majority of Dina's deteriorating mental health and her stability uh, to her husband's negligence, which 100% I agree with. And also the teachings of the church and their belief that this could just be prayed away. Yeah. And that it was really her postpartum psychosis and those around her that kind of contributed to this perfect storm mm-hmm. that led to this awful, awful situation. 
So much of the trial was centered um, not only around her postpartum psychosis, but it was also around the teachings of the Water of Life Church. So Davidson, remember, taught his followers that mental illness was demonic and that all mental illness um, can only be prayed away or taken away by God if he chooses. If he and chooses. they, if he chooses. And they even brought in a lot of evidence from his televised sermons where he's actually talking about Good. this. So let me, uh, and I, you're probably going to get into this. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis? I am going to tell you. I don't know if this was just me being dumb, but I thought they were like no they're not the same i thought postpartum psychosis was the antiquated version of postpartum depression i didn't realize that they were different they're they're different and also the baby blues is different from postpartum depression okay and and so i'm going to talk a little bit about that um coming up here in a second the defense claimed that um because you know they were true believers in the Water of Life Church and true believers in what Davidson was teaching his followers about mental illness and, you know, praying things away. They claimed that this is why John didn't buy Dina her medication regularly. Because remember, she stopped taking it in August, but I think between August and um, and those couple of months before November when this happened, I think she had requested to go back on it. But John and the church was like, no, it's, it's witchcraft. Medicine is witchcraft. We're just going to keep praying. So um, Doyle, they bring Doyle in to testify under oath. Mm-hmm. And this idiot is like, yeah, under oath, he says, yeah, mental illness is demonic. Okay. He's like, that's right. It is. That's what I teach my followers. It's demonic and and medicine is witchcraft. He then being sorry. The, wait, um, before you go any further. Yeah. Was this trial televised? No, it was not. OK, I'm just yeah. I'm trying to think of why. I guess court records are technically public records after. the yeah. fact. Yeah, it's just. How devoted to this insane thinking do you have to be to testify under oath about this nonsense? Well, and then to make matters worse, Doyle, not only does he back up what he taught his followers and what, you know, subsequently Dina and John truly then believed and practiced he then goes to say um oh but by the way i didn't even really know them at all i i I hardly saw them like so he's trying to save himself too like i i don't know them i i don't remember seeing them except rarely records can back up that that's a complete lie and he just perjured himself yeah and even though he was the first person john called when it happened So John also testifies um, and you would think at this point, John would be like, oh, this like you would think this would help him see the light. Right. No, I don't think it. No, no, it didn't. He testified and confirmed, you know, uh, yeah, um, her saying that she actually had twins, her cutting her wrists, everything that led up 
to what happened to Maggie, her wanting to give the baby to God, her wanting to give the baby to Doyle Davidson to marry, it didn't alarm him. And his reasoning, his reasoning was, you know what? She had postpartum depression before with her two other daughters and she never hurt them. Well, John, postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis are two different things. Okay. By the way, during the trial, Mm -hmm. John filed for divorce. What? Yeah. He filed for divorce from Dina. He got custody of both of his, his, his daughters and in the divorce settlement, Mm -hmm. Dina, it is, it is stated in the settlement. Dina can never have contact with her two other daughters ever again. Or with John. He wanted no contact with her. And he was awarded all of these terms. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, So a psychiatrist in the trial testified um, that Dina told him that at one point before Maggie, um, she saw a news story um, where a boy was mauled by a lion. And that was, she felt that that was her sign from God that the apocalypse was coming. And that that was when she heard God's voice commanding her to remove the baby's arms and her own, oh. own arms. When they did go over, you know, these things in trial and the details with Maggie, the attack on Maggie was described as a religious frenzy. And those were the exact words they used. So, you know, just with the details of the gospel music playing in the mm-hmm. background, the everything. Absolute that's how nightmare. it was described. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of thing that you see in, like, a horrible movie. That you're, yeah. That you're like, man, that that's one detail too many. Like, okay. Ex- yeah. So the trial also highlighted the failure of the troubled CPS system uh-huh. in, the, in Texas already, right? Uh, there was, before this, there was a lot of other high-profile um, child deaths that happened in and around Texas and honestly everywhere. I feel like there are plate Florida, for example. I think CPS um, across the board is just underfunded. And they don't have the money to follow up on all the cases that they should Uh, be. So, yes, the trial also highlighted the failures of the troubled CPS system in Texas. And because, you know, remember, they monitored Dina after she was found running from her home. Remember when she thought monitored. Yeah. That when she thought, you know, the little mermaid was laughing at her. Mm -hmm. But. You know, they gave her meds. They deemed her stable that August. And then CPS stopped monitoring the situation. And this happened in November. Yeah. So this was just a couple of months later. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis. Okay. So um, you were, we were talking about, you know, the difference between the two. So for postpartum depression, basically one in 10 new mothers experience postpartum depression. And it can easily go undetected because it's easy to mask postpartum depression, especially by mothers who feel guilty about feeling anything but joy right? When you have a baby, because they all say, and I experienced this too. I'm a mom. Um, you know, when you're growing up and you, it's this constant thing in your head, oh my gosh, I fell in love with my baby as soon as I saw my baby. Yeah. 
Oh, it's the most, being a mother is the most wonderful thing in the world. Yes. You never hear about how effing hard it is, especially those first couple of weeks when, you know, people go back to work, people stop visiting, you know, people stop coming around to hold the baby and it's just you and you're a new mother yeah. with a baby. Or even the opposite when you're yeah. just trying to bond with your baby and people won't fucking leave you alone. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it can feel like the baby blues, but the difference between the baby blues and postpartum depression is the baby blues kind of like that anxious kind of sad feeling that doesn't go away. And it kind of gets a little bit enhanced. So the baby blues eventually like subsides after your hormones, you know, start to balance themselves out, right? Because after you have a baby, your hormones were already raging. Now your your body's trying to get the hormone level back to where it was before you started making a human being inside of your body. Mm-hmm. Postpartum depression, that feeling doesn't go away. And then... It is often characterized by chronic feelings of just guilt, feeling worthless or failure as a mother, panic and anxiety attacks, and then withdrawing from those that you're close to, your husband, your family, difficulty bonding with the baby. And typically, uh, this can go away with proper treatment. So uh, you can take, you know, antidepressants, and whatever, and then usually that takes care of postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. Postpartum depression, it's different for everyone. It can last, you know, for the, you know, a year even after you have, for for a couple of years wow. even. I didn't realize but, that. Yeah, and, you know, just speaking from personal experience, um, I had, I believe that I had a little bit of postpartum depression after I had my, my first kid, um, cause I felt all of those things that I just talked about mm-hmm. and I experienced all those things. Um, mine eventually went away. Um, but I just remember feeling so, I don't even know if, if conned is the word, but because you are cons- you constantly hear how you're supposed to just fall completely in love with this thing that you have just brought into the world. Right. And, and not every, and I'm not saying that doesn't happen for some people because it does, but not for everyone, not for one in 10 new mothers. I, I, I didn't feel that way. I mean, when my baby was born, I knew, okay, my motherly instinct kicked in. Like, I have to take care of this baby. I knew when they were hungry. I knew I needed to change their diaper. I knew I essentially needed to keep this baby alive. But, like, that emotional connection is but just But that lacking. emotional connection and that just euphoric joy that you saw in the commercials and in movies and in TV and that you heard about, mm-hmm. that that did not happen for me till months, months later. They say one in 10 new mothers experience that. And uh, I feel like postpartum depression is something people should talk about more and um, should talk about their experience so that, you know, new mothers don't just hear you're supposed to fall in love with that little thing that I feel like it's getting more accepted to talk about. I, I do, too. Yeah, I do, too. 
So, um, so, the, so postpartum depression is that. Now, one in 1,000 new mothers will experience postpartum psychosis. Okay. And the onset of postpartum psychosis usually occurs right after or within two weeks after the birth of the baby. And if you remember Dina, remember the day after yeah. she had Maggie is when she slit her wrists. And Sim I'm guessing this is from all the hormones afterwards yes. and getting rebalanced. Yeah. And, and, and I actually read that people who, um, you know, suffer from bipolar or other a serious mental illness prior to having mm -hmm. a baby, um, they are more likely to experience postpartum psychosis. Okay. But sometimes it will happen to new mothers that have never experienced a mental illness before. And it, it's is just scary. But symptoms of postpartum um, psychosis include delusions, strange beliefs, um, a decreased need or inability to sleep, paranoia, suspicion, and hyperactivity. Okay. All of these symptoms that Dina had. Yeah. Right? Every single one. Mm -hmm. uh, I was reading a lot of research about postpartum psychosis, and research suggests that there is a 5% suicide rate and a 4% infanticide rate associated with the illness. Wow. So it is very, a very small percentage of women who suffer from postpartum psychosis that actually end up harming themselves or their child. And women with postpartum psychosis experience a severe break with reality. Um, and so in an article that I read, it says that um, in a mother's or in a woman's psychotic state, the delusions and beliefs make complete sense to them. And they feel that they are real and that oftentimes they're based around religion. Interesting. These hallucinations and these delusions. So if someone has a strong faith in a religion or in a practice, these delusions and hallucinations, it, when they have a psychotic break, often focuses around that. Um, now, this can be treated, uh, postpartum psychosis can be treated by seeking immediate medical attention um, so that someone can be quickly assessed and then monitored and then treated with the proper drugs to suppress the hallucinations and depression. So I... 100% believe that if Dina kept taking the proper medication, I think she still would have suffered from postpartum psychosis, but I think her hurting and eventually killing her daughter would not have happened. Absolutely. I think if, if she and her husband had never gotten involved with this church, mm -hmm. none of this would have happened. No. Mm-mm. Now, um, not everyone who experiences postpartum psychosis, not all of them have like, or experience violent commands or these thoughts or hallucinations that lead them to want to harm themselves or others. But if it is left untreated, it can and most likely lead to that. So basically what I'm trying to say is if someone is, is a new mom and they 
never had hallucinations before and then suddenly after they have a baby, their um, whole personality changes. Mm -hmm. They need help immediately. Yeah. You know, and it can't be, it can't be brushed off or like thinking, especially if you're a part of, you know, the water of life church, that it'll be prayed away. Right. So now remember, um, most famously back in 2001 was the case of Andrea Yates, also in Texas. Yeah. And she drowned her five kids. She suffered from not only postpartum depression with the first couple, but then severe postpartum psychosis that she was beating, beating, she was being treated for on and off. But her husband was also someone that wasn't taking that seriously. Remember, even with all of her struggles, like at one point during having, you know, these five kids, he moved her into a bus. She was homeschooling the five kids. Then they moved into a home. I mean, this, this whole big ordeal. But it was just the same situation. Very religiously dependent, and the husband ignored signs, right? Mm-hmm. With the whole Andrea Yates thing. So on April 7th, 2006, Dina was found not guilty of manslaughter by reason of insanity, and she was admitted to the North Texas Hospital. She I'm was ordered- glad because that's actually the best thing for her. Exactly. She was ordered to stay there till she was no longer considered a threat to herself or society. And guess what? Mm. She was actually a roommate of Andrea Yates for some time oh, really? when she was there. Yeah, they That's both crazy. Isn't that crazy? They both shared a room together. So while there, in addition to her postpartum psychosis, which she was being treated for, and um, her, she was diagnosed with bipolar as well. And then she was later and most recently diagnosed with extreme personality disorder. So apparently, Dina had a whole bunch of issues that was going Mm -hmm. on that she never sought treatment for because, again, the stupid water of life church that they were involved in and the beliefs that were being kind of fed to them there. Right. Because because I believe... And I know this is going to sound crazy because of what she did... But I feel that Dina is a victim in this too. I can see that. Because she had all of these medical issues going on. She has mental health issues going on. And how many years was she displaying symptoms of all of this stuff? And no one even noticed. Exactly. And the fact that, you know, she was diagnosed with postpartum depression and suffered from that after the birth of her, her two, her first two daughters. And then, you know, it's little things about this case, like after she was put into a psychiatric hold after the incident of her running from the apartment and she wanted to stay there longer. Mm -hmm. And then somehow her husband was able to take her out. Exactly. Which and, I, I'm never going to understand, but okay. Yeah. And I, and you know, I feel like if she wasn't a part of the church and she wasn't married to John, I think, I don't think we would be here. 
right now. No. I mean, obviously she has other issues. She has bipolar and extreme personality disorder. So maybe there would have been some other, you know, issues that she were, were to be dealing with. But I definitely think Maggie would still be here if uh, the proper people followed up, you know, and she was given proper help. Right. And I'm, do we hear about um, the first two daughters? Cause I'm still concerned about them. No, we don't hear any more about them. They, they are with their dad and that's the last I know of them. Okay. But I will tell you what Dean has been up to for the past 16 years. Okay. So during the last 16 years, she has been granted outpatient release two times, both of which do not end very well. So the first time she was granted outpatient release was in December of 2008, which is just very shortly yeah, after, two years. after the trial. Yeah. So the judge released her based on a doctor's recommendations. Okay. Um, she was not being monitored closely at all, which was actually one of the conditions of her release. And her med dosage was actually all wrong. Okay, so she was set um, up for failure here. Yeah, she actually got a job and was working until 2000, April of 2010 after she was found walking down the middle of the road screaming and singing religious songs at 2 a.m. Okay, but that's just another Saturday night in Texas. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. Her So she was recommitted and then released again the next year. What? In 2011. Um, and in late June of 2012, she was actually hired by Walmart because at this time she was now uh, using her maiden name. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she was known as... Dina Leitner Leitner mm-hmm. and the her psychologist declared her not a risk at all okay. so it should be fine that she works at Walmart well when people found out who she was and that she was working there they complained and some reports say she left that job some say she was fired I kind of feel really bad because I feel like she was just trying to have a normal somewhat of a normal life yeah and you know? I mean was she was she actually doing okay? Yeah, she was, but you know, uh, during this release, social workers actually did a better job of checking in on her. Okay. And and they started noticing that she was kind of and it says and I quote decompensating and experiencing religious delusions. Oh, so she was kind of uh yeah. backsliding again. Yeah. And yeah, I wonder how bit. much of that had to do with being alienated by her coworkers. You know, I don't know. Um, I don't think she ever kind of gave up the religion after even all of this. So uh, I, I don't know. Um, but she was recommitted. As of recently, as of December 2000, 2020, um, she had another hearing to see if she would be eligible for outpatient release. But state experts declared that she probably isn't a good candidate right now for outpatient release. They were citing her new uh, personality disorder diagnosis and the fact that even on the right dosage of meds, she was still kind of experiencing those religious delusions from time to time. So 
as of today, she's ordered to stay in the state's care for the foreseeable future. That is so sad. Yes. So that is the unfortunate story of Dina and Maggie. So now that story is out of my head and into yours. God You're damn. welcome. Okay. <laughs> That's awful. Isn't that awful? Okay, so I gave you nightmares <laughs> a few weeks ago with with the sleepwalker, the man yeah. in your room. Well, so. this is this is how I repay you. So enjoy that. Oh my gosh, Crystal! My friend Julie just texted me, and she said, "You're gonna love this. Stop yawning when Crystal talks during the podcast." <laughs> Jane actually commented on that recently. <laughs> I apologize. I and, and it's not it's not like I'm tired or I'm bored. It's just I it's this closet I recorded. <laughs> it makes me it's not. very cozy and close. <laughs> it is. It is. And so I just feel like I'm in my little nest. And it probably so gets I, warm in there with like your body it and does. the computer running and it does. So I apologize to Julie, to Jane, to you, Crystal. <laughs> for yawning <laughs> i think you did good this episode thank you and i kept my mouth closer to the mic I you guys that. i'm learning i'm learning <laughs> to do things better <laughs> well um, i'm yes. glad we ended that on a little bit of a lighter note because i yes. needed it uh, yeah yeah all right well beat that crystal oh with your next God. one <laughs> It's not a competition. <laughs> I might have to change my topic and do something a little happier. Oh well, I, yeah, I know. I don't think you could find anything uh, more disturbing than that. But there you go. Uh, all right. Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys can connect with us on Instagram and Facebook and email us if you so choose at alternative interest podcast at gmail.com if you're going to email us um i apologize on. on her behalf for that because <laughs> wow and, and for all my past yawning i did i apologize oh i think i already apologized for that just sorry all around for the person i am you guys sorry i'm sorry <laughs> I apologize. Oh, man, we will see you guys next week. Yes. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>